Hello. You're probably wondering, hey, where's the podcast? Well, sorry to break it to you, but there's no podcast this week. There's a, a Alex Nash couldn't quite couldn't quite get it together, but that's okay. I'm here. Your friend, Nicholas Cage. But you you can call me Nick. <laughs> Now, if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to read an excerpt from one of my favorite literary adventures of all time, Batman, 1989. The Batman was originally a, 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 a film uh, made by Tim Burton, uh, who I actually almost uh, made a film with, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, but this, this, is a, this is a novelization of the Tim Burton film. Uh, it's written by Craig Shaw Gardner. It's based on the story. Uh, by by Sam Ham uh, and the screenplay by Sam Ham and Warren Shikarin, uh, and of course based on the character created by Bob Kane. What a legend! Uh, so without further ado, I, I I I present to you, Batman. I think this time I'll do a podcast. It was a night like any other in the city. Too hot, too humid, too loud. The sound of music mixed with car horns and laughter and the occasional scream. The streets swarmed with life, ten times as busy now that the sun had gone down and the scum of the night could crawl out of their holes like roaches who needed the darkness to feed. N not that the streets were dark. Uh, some of the streetlights still worked. Enough to show the pushers wave to the hookers, the hustlers laughing at some sucker got fleeced at three-card Monty, the addicts, the Elkis, huddled in their corners, at peace, as long as their stash held out. Brighter still were tattoo parlors, the peep shows, the broken-down saloons, the unwashed windows swarming with the neon imitations of daylight, and all over it, Luna. The full moon, ancient symbol of madness, rose to show its approval. Welcome to Gotham City. It was a night city full of lost souls and street trash that most places hide in the shadows and sweep in the gutters. But Gotham, G Gotham was too big, uh, too out of control. Here, the hookers and pushers and hustlers, the addicts, were all in first-name basis. Here, the shadows and the gutters had taken over. Uh, here, everyone knew the rules. It was one big, happy family, unless you were from outside. A mother, a father, a 12-year-old son, little Jimmy, all too well-dressed for this kind of neighborhood, walked down the streets, festering streets, out-of-towners, trying not to look out of place, which marked them even more. They carried playbills in their hands. They'd just seen a show, but had walked the wrong way, left the theater crowd far behind. The group of strangers looked them up and down, smiling as they hurried by. Uh, a wino staggered in their path. Mother clutched at her father's sleeve. For God's sakes, Harold, could you please just get a taxi? Harold looked back at his wife uh, with an annoyed, angry expression. The kind of look that would make him king of the household back wherever they came from. I'm trying to get a... He raised both hands and waved and shouted, Taxi! Taxi! 
One cab sped by, followed by one more. Nobody wanted to stop in this neighborhood. Little Jimmy reached in his back pocket and pulled out a map. He frowned. He started to unfold it. We're going the wrong way. Behind them, some strangers had started to snicker. Put that away, the father insisted, trying to keep his voice low. Trying not to attract attention. We'll look like tourists. He led his family toward a pair of cops leaning against a patrol car outside of an all-night Slovakia stand. The cops were too busy chatting and laughing with the 14-year-old teenage hooker to pay them much attention. The hooker glanced around and smiled at little Jimmy. Little Jimmy smiled back. His mother yanked him violently away. She glowered at her husband. It looks as if they were going to be a fight. We'll never get a cab, Harold admitted. Let's cut to 7th. Their son stopped, and they turned the corner. Little Jimmy pointed behind them. Seventh's that way. I know where we are, his father announced as he marched into the darkness on the street. Not much more than an alley, really. The lights were gone. His wife and son followed, all three walking quickly around the derelict cars lit only by the glare of the swollen moon. Hey, mister, a voice called out from the darkness. G give me a dollar. A man sat against one of the wrecks. He was maybe 19 or 20. His face pocked with acne scars. His torn t-shirt read, I love Gotham City. Father hurried his family along as if none of them have heard. Mister, the guy who loved Gotham City yelled, How about it, one dollar? He lurched on his feet, his voice even louder. Are you deaf? Do, do, do you speak English? The father walked quickly to the far side of the alley. The derelict only stood and watched them, swaying back and forth, pushed by the wind that wasn't there. The father barely stopped himself from glancing behind to see if it was safe. He didn't notice the other figures hiding in the shadows. The one with the gun. The gun that came down quickly, brutally across father's neck. Father fell. M mother grabbed little Jimmy, uh, and they backed against the rough brick wall, too scared to make a sound. The guy who loved Gotham City ran across the street to join his friend with the gun. The friend who was already ripping through the father's pockets to see what he could find. Mother made a mewling noise, deep in her throat. The friend paused in his task and pointed the gun straight at little Jimmy. Do the kid a favor, lady, uh, he said softly and reasonably. Don't, don't scream. She swallowed her scream. Instead, tears streaming down her face, she held little Jimmy tight against her, as if her son was the only thing keeping her sane. Little Jimmy didn't say anything either, as if all he could think about was the muzzle of the gun. The two friends found what they wanted. They chuckled and they ran away. Mother stared at her husband, crippled in the alleyway. He was totally still. She wasn't even sure he was breathing. She couldn't help herself anymore. She started to scream. Welcome to Gotham City. The scream echoed up and down the alleyway. It mixed with the music, the laughter, the car horns down the street. It rose up past the derelict cars and worn brick walls to sweep through the towers of the old cathedral, once the spiritual center of a great metropolis now fallen into ruin itself. Stone gargoyles watched the cathedral towers, monsters carved into the walls of the church. So tradition had it, to keep evil spirits away. But these gargoyles only watched the evil and listened to the screams, until one of them moved. Welcome to Gotham City. The friends, I love Gotham City, and the one with the gun, let's call him Nick, and Eddie, hey, that's my name. Now, now, run all the way to the safe place, a roof six stories above the street, and take a look at what they'd found. N Nick opened up a wallet and started looking at the cards. All right, American Express. 
He tossed the card to Eddie. Don't leave home without it, eh? He turned his attention to the counting the cash. The night wind picked up, blowing gravel across the roof. Eddie looked up. He heard a noise, a metal clanging against metal. He looked over at Nick. Let's beat it, man. I don't like it up here. Nick laughed. <laughs> what are you, scared of heights? I don't know. Eddie couldn't help looking around, even though there was nothing out there except the darkness. Uh, after what happened to Johnny Gobbs, that made Nick angry. Look, Johnny Gobbs got ripped and walked off a roof. All right? No big loss. But Eddie knew it wasn't that simple. No, man, that ain't what I heard at all. Uh, he stopped for a minute, as if he didn't want to say what would come next. But it had to come out. I heard the bat got him. The bat? Nick looked away, as if his friend's idea wasn't even worth laughing at. G give me a break, will you, Eddie? Eddie shook his head five stories straight down. There was no blood in the body? No shit, Nick agreed. It was all over the pavement. Uh, his head whipped around. He stared into the dark. This time, he heard the sound. He looked back at Eddie. Shut up, he barked. Listen to me. There ain't no bat. All of Eddie was shaking. Now, you shouldn't have turned the gun on the kid, man. You shouldn't have. You want a cut of this money or don't you? Nick was yelling now. Now shut up. Shut up. He stopped when he heard a new sound. It was different this time and closer, and they both knew what it was. Boots crunching on gravel. Uh, they both turned to look. Eddie made a strangled, gargling sound. Something darker than the night stood on the edge of the roof. It walked towards them. Uh, maybe it was a man? It spread what it should have been his arms. Slowly, majestically, there was movement below those arms, like a shadow of something that wasn't there. It was like a great pair of leathery wings. On its chest, there was a yellow oval, which seemed to glow in the light on its own. And in the middle of the oval was a deep black emblem of a bat. Uh, Nick, Nick pulled out his gun and dropped to the gravel. Uh, he fired twice at the bat emblem, two clean shots. He was too close to miss. Uh, the black figure jerked back as if they hit, uh, then fell on the roof with a satisfying solid sound. I'm getting out of here, Nick whispered. He turned around and grabbed the wallet. Eddie made a low noise, uh, too scared to scream. Nick looked back. The human bat was standing again and was coming for them. The money fell out of Nick's fingers and flooded away in the night breeze. He had to get out of this place. Nick kept low, half running, half crawling across the roof. Uh, there was somebody blocking the way, someone standing in front of the fire escape, a human bat. No one was going to trap him like this. Nick fired again and again and again, the gun shaking in his hand. This time, the bullets didn't do anything at all. The bat walked forward. Eddie was in its path, huddled on the roof, unable to do anything except piss his pants. The, the, the bat walked around him. As the thing passed, a single black boot caught Eddie in the middle of the chest. It lifted him off, completely off his feet, and sent him flying through the air into a brick chimney. Eddie slumped into the roof, out cold. And the bat didn't even stop. It just kept walking. Uh, Nick had to get away. He jumped up, fear moving his legs. He ran past the moving shadow toward the fire escape and... The bat moved its hand as if it was throwing something. Nick was falling forward. He could no longer use his legs. They were pinned together, wrapped in something, rope or wire. Nick screamed. Uh, he had to get away. His arms were still free. He pulled his body along the rooftop, the gravel, uh, slicing into his elbows, drawing a dozen tiny streams of blood. Uh, Nick couldn't think about the pain. He could only think about the bat. He dragged himself along the roof. The bat stayed right behind him, never overtaking him, but never far away. Uh, it was no place for Nick to go, no place he could escape. There was only the ledge and the bat. Uh, Nick almost lost it, almost crapped his pants like candy-ass Eddie, until he remembered the gun. No one could get him when he had the gun. 
Both his hands shook as he lifted his piece, so much heavier than it was before. He shot and shot again. Uh, he could no longer open his eyes to aim. Click. The hammer hit the empty chamber. Click, click, click. Something came from inside Nick, a hopeless sound, the sound of somebody who was about to die. He felt two hands grab his shirt and lift him from the roof. Don't kill me, Nick whispered. Don't kill me. Nick opened his eyes. The bat stood on the edge of the roof and he held Nick out beyond the edge over nothing. The bat opened his mouth. His voice was rasp, like a file biting into steel. You're trespassing, rat breath. Nick looked down, six stories down, at the tiny, tiny car so far below. He looked up into the bat's face, uh, but where the thing's eyes should be, there were two mirrors, twin reflectors of Nick's fear. Uh, Nick tried to ignore the pounding in his ears, uh, the feeling of his legs kicking out of the air of nothing. Uh, what did it matter? He was going to die anyway. Uh, he'd tell off the bat before he went. Trespassing? He tried to laugh, but it came out more of as a cough. Uh, you don't own the night. The bat smiled. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. The smile widened to show teeth. And I am the night. Nick screamed as he felt the bat's grip on him shift. Uh, he was spun around and thrown roughly on the tar and gravel rooftop. He still managed to look up to see the bat step off the building's edge, six stories up, uh, off into nothing but air. Oh, what's going on? Uh, Nick couldn't help himself. He had seen where the bat had gone. He crawled to the ledge and looked over six stories down. There was no one there. The bat had disappeared. Uh, that's when Nick really started to scream. Welcome to Gotham City, punk. A new Gotham City. In chapter one, Commissioner Gordon looked out over the crowd. The large hall of Gotham City Democrats Club was packed. A huge victory banner said it all. Congratulations. A new Gotham City. Harvey Dent, District Attorney. At least the banner described Gordon's dreams. A new Gotham City? Gordon hoped, somehow, that Dent could make a difference. But he had seen others like Dent before. Bright, idealistic, full of fervor to reform that beast they called Gotham City. Most of the time, the beast got the reformer, not the other way around. There were too many people here, too many ins and outs, too many temptations, too much politics. Gordon's hands weren't as clean as he'd wish they'd be. But he was still here, a survivor. And with any luck, he could still do some good. He turned his head around and looked up and down the head table. It seemed that every reform-minded dignitary in the whole city was here. Brown, Estevez, O'Neill, Cleveland... At least all the reformers were supposed to be here. Gordon noted that the chair two down from the speaker, the one reserved for Bruce Wayne, was vacant. Gordon was a little surprised by that. W Wayne had worked as hard as anyone here to get Dent elected. For all that, the newspapers went on about millionaire, playboy, Bruce Wayne. Uh, he was actually very dependable, uh, very committed. Uh, if there were a few more millionaire playboys with Wayne's resources working in Gotham, they could turn the city around in no time. Wayne must have a good reason to stay in a way. Maybe Gordon thought, as he looked regretfully down at the gray remains of his plate, he couldn't face up to any more meals of rubber roast beef. Gordon looked up again, his old politician's face graced with a hint of a smile. He had learned through the years of public service to keep a pleasant expression on his face as possible, no matter what they were having for dinner. Besides, there might be a reason to smile after all.
Dent won in a landslide over the incumbent, a fellow whom voters finally realized had been living in the pocket of the mob for the past 20 years. Maybe the vote meant that Gordon and the city had enough people behind them this time to make a difference. Uh, maybe the truth and justice and triumph for a change and some of the real criminals would end up behind the bars. Maybe this, maybe that. Gordon sighed and glanced to his left. There were certain things in this world, but one of them was that he would always have to attend these political dinners, and at every one of them, his honor, the mayor, would make a speech. Mayor Borg stood proud as an overstuffed peacock, as if Dent's election was somehow all his doing. Gordon knew the mayor was only supposed to introduce Dent, a job in Borg's hands could take a good twenty minutes. The crowd was quiet as Borg started to speak. Gordon only half listened, heaven knew. Borg sounded as if he'd never even listened to himself. The mayor went on about our fair city and the great flower of the East. Uh, he thanked his constituents, most of them seemingly by name. Uh, only then did Borg start something that could lead into an introduction. Gordon finally decided to give the mayor his full attention. Uh, Borg took a deep breath, a gesture that should have been dramatic, but instead hinted at a life of too many cigarettes. Across this nation, he spoke, uh, the words Gotham City are synonymous with crime. Our streets are overrun, and our police officials have been helpless. As mayor, I promised you that I would root out the source of this corruption at its root. He paused for another breath, raising a pudgy forefinger skyward. Boss Carl Grimson, our new district attorney, Harvey Dent, will carry out that promise. I promise. Harvey Dent stood, and the audience was on their feet as well, clapping and cheering. This part of Gotham City was really ready for a change. Dent motioned for quiet, and a moment later the audience agreed, returning to their seats so they could hear the new district attorney speak. Tall and thin, he looked as though he had been born in a business suit. His deep brown skin gleamed under the lights. Gordon realized that that was another thing to be thankful for. Dent's leading man looks would go over well on television. A lot better than a middle-aged, sagging, overweight police commissioner. Dent started to speak, his voice so clear he hardly needed a microphone. I am a man of few words, uh, but those words will count, and so will our actions. Uh, I have talked today to Police Commissioner Gordon. There is a smattering of applause. Uh, for the police commissioner? Gordon smiled politely. My, he thought. The audience is being generous tonight. He is targeting businesses, Dent continued, suspected of fronting for the syndicate in the city. Within a week, we'll knock down their doors. He paused his eyes sweeping the crowd, and shed light of the law on that nest of vipers. There was a real applause this time. Gordon wished he could enjoy it more. He had a real job in front of him this time, a job that entailed a lot more than sitting around at fancy dress dinners. Most of the time, as long as you did what you were supposed to, the public managed to ignore the police commissioner. All this attention was making Gordon a little uncomfortable. Damn, sometimes you wish he had the freedom to play hooky like Wayne. He could already tell that the rubber roast beef was going to give him gas. He smiled politely at Dent and hoped his stomach would stay quiet long enough for the new DA to outline the rest of their plan. The plan that Gordon had hoped somehow, against all odds, would turn into a reality. What a dump. Jack Napier absently fiddled with his lucky deck. Uh, it was amazing. All the money Alicia Hunt had, not only from her modeling career, but from all those little presents Boss Grimson always gave her, that she could fill her apartment with all that crap. 
What was a liver-shaped coffee table anyway? Post-Yugoslavian modern or something? Uh, uh, others might call it classy, but to him, it was just expensive junk. Uh, uh, at least it gave him a place to rest his feet, uh, in the way she covered the walls with her modeling pictures well. At least it covered the walls. Jack chuckled at his own private joke. Since she slept with him, she had an excellent taste in men. Uh, too bad she didn't have taste in anything else. Jack finished his one-handed shuffle. He turned his attention back to the television and the stiff who has just gotten himself elected. Who exactly was this guy? The newswoman had just said his name only a minute ago. A, a bend? A bent? A dent? That was it, yes. Uh, uh, not that there was anything particular new about him. He spoke like any other politician Jack had heard. Jack had to admit, however, this guy looked classy. Napier dealt four jacks off the top of his deck. Each card had a bullet hole in the center. Together, we can make the city safe for decent people, Dent droned on. Decent people shouldn't live here, Jack said back to the set. They'd be happier somewhere else. Alicia glided into the room. She might not have any taste, uh, but still she looked pretty good, especially in that skimpy black negligee. Uh, she lifted her feet and rescued a Vogue magazine with her picture on the cover. Imagine that, Jack thought. He had been resting his Italian shoes on her face. He noticed with a frown that one of his polished black shoes had a slight scuff. He'd have to fix that. Alicia brushed at her straight blonde hair as she stared at the television. Uh, pretty tough talk about Carl. Jack waved away her obsession with a flick of his lucky deck. D don't worry about that. If this clown could touch Grism, I'd have killed him by now. Alicia leaved down over Jack, revealing even more of her cleavage. She grabbed his loosely knotted tie and pulled it gently around his neck. If Grism knew about us, she mentioned, he might kill you. Jack glanced from the TV over to a mirror above the nearby vanity. Damn, uh, but that tie looked good on him. Uh, at least he had good taste, impeccable taste, really. Uh, he smiled at his reflection. He, he might try to give Alicia lessons, uh, but you were either born with this or you've never got it. Don't flatter yourself, Angel, he murmured, uh, glancing at her at last. Uh, he's a tired old man. He couldn't run the city without me. He looked at himself in the mirror one more time, and besides, he doesn't know. He flipped off the TV with the remote. Alicia frowned at him and stood. You don't worry about anything, do you, Jack? Jack smiled to prove exactly how worried he was. He glanced at his watch. Time to go. He grabbed his top coat from the couch and stood in front of the vanity and put it on. He smoothed out the dark cashmere, checked to make sure that his hair was in place. Yeah, nothing but the best for old Jack. You look fine, she reassured him. Jack smiled at his reflection. I didn't ask. The reflection smiled back. Alexander Knotts tried not to breathe too loudly. He had been rushing down the alley, anxious to get to the scene of the crime. That was before he heard Lieutenant Eckhart talking to the police medic around the corner. That's right, Eckhart actually talking. Uh, the minute Knox showed up, the chubby police officer always became dumber than one of the Three Stooges. Sometimes, Knox considered, you could be the best damn newspaper reporter in all of Gotham City by just taking an extra minute to get there. You know what the guy says he saw, the medic began incredulously. No, let me guess, Eckhart wheezed. A gigantic menacing supernatural form in the shape of a bat? Uh, that's right, uh, th uh, was the other man's astonished reply. W what are they seeing up there? Eckhart dismissed it. Uh, uh, they're all drinking Drano. Uh, it's still weird, Lieutenant, the medic allowed. Oh, Christ, Eckhart muttered in a half-whisper. Knox. Oops. Knox had gotten a little too interested and a little too far out into the alley. Well, 
Now that his cover was blown, he might as well make the best of it. Uh, he stopped towards Eckhart with a big grin. Oh, hi, a chance. Uh, I hear there's another bad attack. Eckhart winced. Knox's smile grew even wider. Uh, that's eight sightings in under a month. Uh, I hear even the commissioner's open a file. Sorry, Knox, Eckhart replied, his face expressive as an average slab of granite. Uh, those two slipped in a banana peel. Two? Uh, there are two crooks involved? Sometimes Eckhart gave away little timbits without even knowing. Knox wondered if there was any way he could sneak a question or two with the eyewitnesses. That's when one of the eyewitnesses got dragged past by a pair of cops. Uh, for a minute, Knox thought Eckhart might be right. This guy sure looked as though he had been drinking Drano. What clothes he had left were torn in a dozen places, the skin beneath crisscrossed with the dull brown of drying blood. His hair was matted with blood, too, but what was really weird was the guy's face. He was smiling. A bat, I tell you, a giant bat. He giggled and twitched, his head twerking from Eckhart to Knox to each of his captors. He wanted me to do him a favor. The cop dragged him away before the favor could be performed. Knox grinned at Eckhart anyway. His most important question had been answered. Eckhart actually let his irritation show. Don't be writing this crap in the newspaper, Knox. It'll ruin your already useless reputation. Uh, but Knox had the fat bastard now, an eyewitness to the bat. Uh, he pressed his advantage. Lieutenant, uh, lots of punks in this town are scared stiff. They say he drinks blood. They say he can't be killed. Uh, I say you're full of shit, Knox. Eckhart barked as he turned away. And you can quote me on that. So, they're going to stonewall him even now. Uh, Knox couldn't give up that easy. Lieutenant... Is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Eckhart walked away without looking back. Knox shouted after him. If so, uh, is he on the police payroll? Eckhart lumbered around the corner out of sight. Uh, if so, Knox persisted. Oh, what's he pulling down after taxes? Uh, there was no answer. Knox didn't really expect one. He thought for a second about following the lieutenant, but decided it would be better for his health and career if he didn't. As much as Knox disliked the guy, it didn't pay to be annoying. Besides, he'd gotten what he really wanted. Fried or not, that smiling guy had seen a human bat. And Knox found it even more fascinating that for some reason, the police didn't want the story getting out. Eckhart and the others should know by now that that sort of attitude just made Allie Knox want to get to the truth that much more. Uh, uh, who was this guy who tried to look like a bad of all things? A renegade cop? A criminal? Uh, uh, some, some kind of vigilante? Or is he a total nutcase? Knox had a feeling he might be every one of the above, and he was going to find out and report everything he found to the Gotham Globe. And when he was done, the human bat was going to be better known than Pee Wee Herman, uh, and whatever the police were covering up would be splashed across the front page. Chapter 2. We'll wait till next time.